Well, good morning, everyone. We will get started today. We will be in Romans chapter 11. Romans 11, verses 1 through 6. Uh, today, this morning, during introduction, I actually wanted to talk about a couple of issues again and talk about Romans as a whole. Uh, well, at least chapters 9 through 11. This theme that Paul is theologically addressing, which he will practically address at the end of his letter, and uniting the church as one body and one organization, one institution, and that comes from people of different nationalities. You will have people from different nations and different nationalities joining together as the people of God that worship Him in unity, in spirit and in truth, Jesus said to the Samaritan woman that people will worship all over the world in unity, in spirit and in truth together. And that the organization that worships God in unity, in spirit and in truth, that that group takes precedent over all over things in a sense. It takes, it takes a precedent over, over your national identity because ultimately it's based upon truth. Nations, no matter what nation, um, can have error in its political system or error in its laws and in its ways. However, the people of God, no matter what nation or ethnic group you think you come from, the people of God from all these different peoples is supposed to be united in the truth of the scriptures. And so Paul is addressing in this letter a uniting of, of Israel, ethnic Israelites who are believers, as we learned back in Romans 4, descendants of Abraham that are ethnically descendant of Abraham, but are also believing in God and pursuing God and His righteousness through Christ, like Abraham did, a righteousness based on faith. And then Gentiles also find Abraham as their spiritual father in the sense that they recognize God's promise to Abraham that he would be a father of many nations, meaning other ethnic groups. So how is that physically possible? It's not physically. It's The promise is also talking about a spiritual promise, a spiritual promise. And so there are people that are not ethnically related to Abraham. Well, you could go way back to Adam, and you are ethnically related, but these people from different groups. And we also see in the Old Testament, especially in Deuteronomy and Joshua, God divides up the land. Not only does He divide up the land amongst the Israelites, there are also several passages where He says, these people will dwell over here. And God is giving people on the earth different places to live. However, in Romans 9, and during the age of the church, people are being united together during, during a, a temporary time. There's a temporary setting aside of national Israel. And not until recently uh, has Israel actually become a nation again. And that's actually special. And there's a lot. We, we could just talk about Israel for, for a couple of years, actually, um, in the Old Testament. But I want to talk about unity today a little bit, uh, uniting the people of God. Today's passage will be addressing some theological issues. We'll be... Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get started and we'll get into what I wrote down. <laughs> so, please pray with me. Lord, thank you for this morning. I thank you for everyone here. Help us to, to pay attention to your word this morning. To be all eyes and all ears and all hearts, God, and all mind. Help our minds to be focused on what you have. 
Let us put other things aside if we can. Help us to do that. Help us to put things that might be pressing on our hearts or our minds so that we can learn more about you, learn what you've said in the, the scriptures, your truth. Help us, God, to, to know you more and to act accordingly. Lord, it's in, in your name, in your Son's name, Jesus Christ, that we pray these things for your honor, for your glory, for his glory. Amen. First, I want to start with a reading from our church um, article of faith. Community Bible Church Bylaws, Article 1, our doctrinal statement of faith, Section F, last paragraph. We, Community Bible Church, believe that God administers His purpose on the earth through man under varying responsibilities, stewardships, or dispensations. These dispensations may be distinguished in Scripture through a consistent use of a normal method of biblical interpretation also called hermeneutic. We believe that God has a plan and a program for the church that is distinct from his plan and his program for Israel. And we have a list of verses from which we gain that idea. Article 1, Section H, the church. We, Community Bible Church, believe that the universal church, the body of Christ, is a spiritual organism okay not a national organism although people come from nations okay so it's a spiritual organism composed of all genuine Christians who live between the day of Pentecost Acts 2 and Acts chapter 2 everyone that gets saved there pretty much is Jewish okay and the rapture, 1 Thessalonians 4. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, it's a letter that's predominantly a church that is Gentiles. You guys understand what the elders believe and have written for us to pursue and believe. So we have Jews and we have Gentiles in one spiritual organism. That's what we believe is the church. And Romans, as we continue on, is going to keep addressing this idea. Paul is trying to bring Jews and Gentiles back together in the Roman church because the Jews were pushed out of Rome by the Caesar, an edict of Caesar, and now people like Priscilla and Aquila, who are Jews with Paul, are coming back and are coming back together. And so how is the Jew and the Gentile supposed to live together? A long time ago we talked about Acts 15, which is the Jerusalem council of all Jewish elders and the apostle James and Peter and John making a decision about how Gentiles and Jews can come together and be one church, and it is not necessary for Gentiles to be circumcised and perform other things of the law. Okay, so there's lots of things going on in the New Testament, various changes, and sometimes we'll call those things ages or dispensations in God's plan and program. So, Romans 11, 1 through 6, we'll begin reading. And so I want you to have that big idea. Romans 9, 10, and 11 is theological, dealing with Jews and Gentiles, predominantly uh, Jews and Israelites, and what God speaks about them. But then ultimately, if you continue to read all the way through chapter 16, you should see a uniting theme is on Paul's pastoral mind. That Paul is bringing these people together to be one church, one group together, and they should love one another, pray for one another, care for one another, 
and sacri live sacrificially toward one another in love. It doesn't matter whether you come from Israel or you come from Rome and you eat pork. You're supposed to love one another in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? That's the big that's the big undertow that's happening from Romans 9 through 16, the rest of this. And it actually begins right at the beginning of Paul's letter when he says the gospel goes to the Jew first and then to the Greek. Okay, that's in Romans 1. That's his introduction. And here's the gospel. So we're going to keep pressing on and looking into the details. Romans 11.1. 1. Read with me, please. I say then, God has not rejected His people, has He? May it never be. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, more specifically of the tribe of Benjamin, God has not rejected His people whom He foreknew. Or do you not know what the Scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he, Elijah, pleads with God against Israel, Lord, they, Israelites, have killed your prophets. They, Israelites, have torn down your altars. And I, an Israelite, I alone am left. And they, Israelites, are seeking my life. But what is the divine response to him? This is what God says. I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In the same way, then, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant of Israelites according to God's gracious choice. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Grace. Here at Community Bible Church, grace is something that we preach. And it will be the predominant theme, I guarantee it, of the preaching and teaching here. And it should be the predominant believing thing that you all believe in and that you teach your children and others. Grace is something no one earns and no one deserves. Grace is God's right. And it's God's good pleasure to give ugly, sinful people love from Him and righteousness from Him they do not deserve. Grace is not something you deserve. Whether you are a Jewish person or a Gentile person, the Bible places all of us in a sinful disposition that we cannot get out from on our own. You are in a sinful disposition that you cannot get out from under or out from on your own. Sin was everyone's master in this room at one point in time. Sin ruled you. Sin reigned you over you. You want to understand that? Go back and read Romans 6. Go back and read Romans 6. But now, for those who believe in Christ Jesus, God has set you free through the power of the Holy Spirit. And now you are slaves of righteousness. And in 6.22, slaves of God Himself. No longer a slave of sin. 
you're a slave of Christ and of righteousness, which means, like Jesus said, you hunger and thirst after righteousness now that you're born of the Spirit. This will be the attitude and the new disposition that you have as a converted, born again, born from above, spiritual being who pursues God in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. So whether you're a Jewish person or a Gentile person, no one should look down on others because all of us were sinful. And all of us still have remnants of sin remaining in our flesh. No matter from what ethnicity or nationality you find, you are all the same. We are all the same. We all have sin. And the cross of Jesus Christ is a leveling place for everyone under the sun. Because everyone is sinful and everyone needs grace. Everyone is the same in that matter. So an attitude that we should develop is that we should not look down on others. We need only look in the mirror to see our own reflection in God's Word and see that we have failed and fallen short of His glory. We don't need to look around the room and have a haughty attitude looking down on others, treating others with contempt, and thinking that we are inherently or self-righteous in and of ourselves. So we all need God's grace, His faithfulness in holding on to us when we deserve to be let go. What we do deserve is to be let go by God and to continually be cast away from God. We deserve to be rejected by God, to be thrown away, to be cast away for our unfaithfulness to Him. But the grace of God is where salvation begins. That's the origins of salvation, is in the character of God And the character from which God begins salvation is grace. Undeserved favor. Unmerited favor. Grace is where salvation, our salvation continues. And grace is where salvation will be eternally fulfilled. It's grace that will continue to sustain us in heaven and on the new earth. You're a creature. Every breath comes from God to hold you up. To make you stand. And your master, Jesus Christ, will make you stand. For he is able. He is able. Back to verse 1. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? And so Paul puts a question forth for us to think about and consider. In Romans 10, it seemed like Paul was talking so much about how the Israelites had rejected God so much. And so the question would come up, Has God cast away His people? Has He rejected His people? Is it full? Is it a total casting away? Is there no one of the Israelite people that are being saved? That might be a question on somebody's mind. And perhaps Gentiles might be thinking that because they're seeing it's mostly us. We don't see many Israelites in our congregations. Well, the Israelites are just one people group. Gentiles are many. So numerically, there's going to be a lot more of us in general. That's that's one way to look at it. The Bible doesn't really talk about that, but... God has not rejected the Israelites totally or fully, nor should any church that's studying the Scriptures. I will address that near the end of the lesson and specify what that means. And I'll also show you 
how an Israelite, the prophet of God in this passage, didn't fully understand this either. So it's not just, just Gentiles who fail in this understanding. It can also be an Israelite, a prophet, who's supposed to be a pastor, essentially, who doesn't understand either fully. And God tells him the way it is. So this man, who was a prophet and who had the Old Testament and has part of 1 Kings written up to this point, Elijah I'm talking about, he doesn't get it either fully. He thinks he's alone is left. And he's failed to keep in his mind the understanding of what God's promise to the Israelite people are. Does that make sense? Am I making sense here? Gentile pastors can fail to understand this or keep this truth high in their mind. And an Israelite prophet can fail to keep this truth high in his mind. And in a moment of weakness, in a moment of not understanding. So both peoples can, can fail in their understanding of God's promise. And it's, for here, it's here for us to study and see. But God is faithful and He will not, not depart from graciously fulfilling His promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the fathers, as is referenced in the Scriptures, and to King David, whom God also made promises. God will always preserve descendants for these men. Because that was His word to them. That was His promise. That was His gracious, gracious choice. That was His gracious choice. And, not just for the men, but also for their women. Like Hebrews mentions Sarah who had faith in her God and His promise. The wives, the mothers. So we see God's fulfillment of these promises at the least in this passage of Paul himself. He says, May it never be, for I too am an Israelite. God hasn't rejected His people. Look at me. I'm an Israelite. I'm saved. Okay, so and then, and now he's going to build. He's going to continue to build on this idea. Okay? I'm a descendant of Abraham. More specifically, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I know my heritage. And Paul gives his heritage. I believe it's in Philippians. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I've got a pedigree that we can look back a long time. We don't have any intermingling in, in my blood is what Paul is trying to show. If people are, are worried about that. But Paul calls that rubbish. That's not necessary. God has not rejected or cast away or thrown away His people whom He foreknew. Yeah, I, forgot to, I forgot to do this here. This is going to be important. It's back in Romans 8 too, this word. It's only a few places in the Scriptures. I'm going to tie a link between these three words. It's impossible to escape from. Though some may try. That was supposed to be funny. <laughs> so God, what does God do? God saves Paul. He saves a man, a Jewish man, an Israelite, who is killing and imprisoning Jewish Christians. So we have an Israelite persecuting and killing Israelites. And that's this man here in verse 1. Okay? 
everybody understand that? God is faithful to His Word. He promises to the fathers to save another Jew to Himself to show forth His glory, His own power, and His own loving kindness that supersedes a man's sin such as Paul, an Israelite who is sinning and killing the very people of God who have accepted their Jewish brother Jesus as the Messiah and bow to Him as Lord and Savior. And so in Acts chapter 9, we read of this supernatural conversion of Paul, who was an enemy of God. Just like is described back in Romans 10, Paul says this, My heart's desire, my prayer to God for them, the Israelites who are not believing, is for their salvation. I testify that they have a zeal for God, but it's not in accordance with knowledge. Why? Because that was me. That was me. I had a zeal for God, but it was not in accordance with knowledge. I'm the guy who was putting together my fellow Israelites who were believing in Messiah. But God is gracious, and He saves another Israelite for Himself. I, too, am an Israelite, descendant of Abraham, whom God has graciously changed the heart, who removes the heart of stone, discards it, and puts in a heart of flesh, opens the eyes to see, unstuffs the ears so they can hear, gives a heart that can understand, and gives a, a life and a heart that responds to God, that worships Him in spirit and in truth, in accordance with knowledge, the right understanding, not a wrong understanding anymore. So God is faithful. If anyone is calling into question God's faithfulness to save Israelites, Paul is an example of a miraculous salvation. He is a, a, and a miraculous salvation of an Israelite who is killing other Israelites. Now let's get on to Paul's Old Testament example where he proves this to be the case. He proves this to be the true, the true way in which God does things. But let's first consider God's faithfulness. Let's look at some of these passages I've put up on the board about God's faithfulness. I'm going to read here. You can follow along or just listen. 1 Samuel 12, 22 says this, For the Lord will not abandon His people, Israelites, on account of His own great name. Why won't God abandon Israel? Because His own name, His own glory, His own character depends on His own promise being proclaimed. So God's not going to abandon Israel. It's, his name depends on it, His character. Why? Because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for Himself. It was from the Lord's good pleasure. It was not because of the people that God loved them. It's because He is love and He can choose to love whomever He wishes. And He will not abandon those whom He chooses to love. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. Samuel speaking about praying for the Israelites as their priest. But I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear the Lord, serve Him in truth with all your heart. Consider what great things He has done for you. But if you do wickedly, both you and your king will be swept away. There is consequence for disobedience. 1 Kings 6 says this, Now the word of the Lord came to Solomon, the son of David. 
Concerning this house which you are building, Solomon, if you walk in my statutes, execute my ordinances, keep all my commandments by walking in them, then I will carry out my word with you which I spoke to David your father. I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. Now this sounds conditional. However, God also makes unconditional promises to not ever fully cast away Israel, to fully abandon Psalm 89 says this, If they, Israel, violates my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish them for their transgression. So there is punishment. And God is faithful to punish disobedient people. With the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But, however, I will not break off my loving kindness. I will not break off my loving kindness from Israel. So these people are being disciplined and punished, but God says at the same time, He remains a loving kindness over them. Okay, two things are happening at the same time. That's possible with God. It's possible with us too. You can be really mad at your husband and still love him at the same time. Right, ladies? Okay, men, it's us too. Then. We just can't say anything bad about our women though. My covenant I will not violate, nor will I alter the utterances of my lips. Once I have sworn by my own holiness, I will not lie to David. God cannot lie. He will be faithful by his own holiness, by his own character. He will not compromise his promise to regenerate and keep Israelites for himself. It shall be established forever like the moon, and the witness in the sky is faithful. Isaiah 49 says this, But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me, and the Lord has forgotten me. So Israel is crying out to God. We feel as, as if you've forsaken us. We've been punished a long time. But it continues, Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these Israelites may forget but I will not forget you. But God promises not to forget the Israelites. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palm of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Ezekiel 36 says this, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, and this is really important to understand, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my own holy name. God's holiness was in the last section. God's own name. It is not for your sake, but for my own holy namesake. This is based upon God's character and His promise to be faithful, to show Himself holy in holiness. My holy name, which you all profaned among the nations where you went, where I scattered you. Verse 23, But I will vindicate the holiness of my own great name. I will justify my name. I will show it to be great. I will show how powerful I am. Which you profane among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself to be holy among you in their sight. Do you want to know how I'm going to do this? I'm going to regenerate people, and I'm going to prove myself to be the Holy One whom you all seek in holiness, in righteousness and truth. And this is how people are going to know that I am God. Because there's going to be a change. There's going to be a change in your heart. There's going to be a change in your life. And you're going to pursue me in love. 
Notice all the eyes that come after this passage, and the I is the personal pronoun God's using for himself. I will take you from the nations. I will gather you from all the lands and bring you. I take, I gather, I bring. I take, I gather, I bring into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean because I'm the one who sprinkles and I'm the one who makes clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers so you will be my people and I will be your God. Moreover, I will save you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and multiply it. I will not bring a famine on you. I will multiply the fruit of the tree, the produce of the field, so that you will not receive again disgrace of famine among the nations. You will remember your evil ways and your evil deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves. Sound like repentance? Believing people repent and they loathe their sin and they love God and they hate their sin. You will loathe yourselves for your sins, for your iniquities and your abominations which you committed. I am not doing this for your sake, declares the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your sin, for your ways. O house of Israel, love, salvation, and blessing from God is undeserved. It's God's gracious choice. It's God's gracious choice. And He is mighty to fulfill His Word. There are so many passages like this in the Old Testament that speak of God's faithfulness and His promise to preserve, to redeem, and to shower with grace the people of Israel. And He has always done so. God has always preserved, regenerated in heart, given eyes to see, ears to hear, to some of His people, Israelites. And we see Paul draw upon this foundational truth from a passage in 1 Kings 19. And one of the passages we just read was 1 Kings 6. Do you not know what the Scripture says in the passage about Elijah? So here's Paul's example. I gave you a whole bunch of other ones. Elijah, he pleads with God against Israel. Does that mean Elijah is anti-Semitic? Sorry. <laughs> Elijah is an Israelite who actually prays and pleads with God against his own brothers and sisters. And there's a sense in which you can feel, on a human sense, that he's justified in that. That he's vindicated. I mean, he's being chased and pursued by these guys, but actually he should not feel that way. Theologically, 
He should find rest in his soul, come above his own circumstances and situations, and entrust himself to God completely. I'm talking about God's sovereignty here. It really helps. But Elijah failed to fully recognize God's sovereignty. When you're in a low spot, you might forget God's sovereignty. Okay? That God is sovereign over every circumstance and situation that you find yourself in. Okay? And even the leader of God's people, the prophet, the pastor of God's people, <laughs> wasn't getting it at this point. He didn't have perfect understanding. And so let this, let this help you, okay? Do you understand this, what I'm trying to say to you? Let this be an encouragement to you. God's people, who are his people, Elijah, don't always understand what God's doing. Okay? You don't always understand. And sometimes you feel the wrong way. Let that be an encouragement to you. Elijah says this, Lord, they, Israelites, have killed your prophets, they have torn down your altars, and I alone am left. Elijah is feeling alone. He actually says it. God, I alone am left, and so go ahead and kill them all. That's what he's saying. They are seeking my life. They're trying to kill me too, and I'm the last one left. You better, you better kill them all so Israel is not snuffed out totally. But what is the divine response to Elijah? Okay? What's his response? What does God tell him? I have kept. God says of himself, remember all the eyes we just read about God and Ezekiel? God says, I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee the false God. So Elijah, all those scriptures that we just read about God's covenant faithfulness to Israel, Elijah himself, the prophet of God, is failing to remember that God might have something else going on that I'm not aware of at this time. He didn't fully grasp everything. But God, this is what God's divine response to him is. I have kept for myself that 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to, uh, to the all. In the same way then, there has also come to be at this present time, 56 A.D., when Paul's writing this letter, at this present time, a remnant of Jewish people, like this 7,000 men, a remnant of Jewish people, according to God's Gracious choice. And so gracious choice, Paul is saying, look at God's grace. His gracious choice is dependent upon God's own character and God's own power to keep these people from worshiping a false god and falling into sin. God is able to keep them and make them stand. And we learn that, that God is able to make everyone in here stand who's trusted in Jesus Christ. By grace. This is based on God's foreknowing. Everyone, every single person that God has foreknown from eternity past is every single person whom God is keeping for himself. According to his gracious choice. But if it is by grace, and here's the thing, if it's by grace... 
And if this is true, and salvation is entirely dependent upon God's choice and God's ability to keep, based upon whom He's decided to foreknow, then it's no longer on the basis of works, of human works, of human decisionism. The only reason why somebody makes a decision is because God has. And He has the power to do so. Because in His own character, this word means more than knowledge. It means for loved. And God chooses to forelove sinful people who deserve to be cast away, but He decides to bring them to Himself and wash them clean and make them His and change them and change them. It's, it's of grace. It's by grace. It's not on human beings. It's, it's, there's no basis for humans to boast in themselves or to think that it was me. Otherwise, that's not grace. And we totally understand grace wrong. And we'll get it wrong. We'll get our definition of wrong. We'll get the origins of grace wrong. If we think it originates with us, then we fail to see everything that's of God. Oftentimes, it, it leads to boasting. And Paul constantly says in many places in the Bible, strive not to think in a way that will lead you to boasting in yourself. This guarantees that you shouldn't, even though some people who believe this still boast in themselves or have wrong thinking. Just as Elijah failed to understand God's sovereignty and his ability to preserve people like he promised. Elijah didn't fully understand either. Or he forgot, because he's human like all of us. God was faithful to his word to preserve many people for himself. God kept many Israelites for himself. God's grace is extravagant. And His faithfulness is steadfast to love the people whom He foreknew. The only reason any of us choose Him is because He graciously chose us. Fulfilling the prediction of Moses that Moses said in Deuteronomy 29 of Israelites but also is spiritually true of the Gentile believer as well. To this day, the Lord has not given you a mind to understand, eyes to see, or ears to hear. Moses spoke of the same thing. So where does this desire and this ability to understand, to see, to believe, to repent, to hear God and come to Him, as we can see here? It comes from the Lord. It comes from the Lord. If you understand anything, it's of grace. It comes from the Lord. Everything good comes from the throne of God. Everything bad comes from you. And you came from the throne of God. We won't go into that. But Moses' prediction is true. And so picking up in verse 5, in the same way, just as Moses predicted as well, there's also come to be at this present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. God continues to preserve a remnant of believing Jews to this day, and I am happy to call myself their friend by God's grace. And I wish to be their servant for the Lord, just as any teacher should be for any of the people of God. 
the church is to be united, and that's Paul's theme in Romans 9 through 16. A united Jewish and Greek, a Jewish and Greek church, meaning all Gentiles. God has removed the ceremonial law by fulfilling it in Jesus Christ, and now Jew and Greek can be unhindered in their worship of the Lord together. Read Ephesians chapter 2. Jews are no longer burdened by dietary restrictions if they can accept that truth. We're going to deal more with that later in Romans. Grace, not human works, is God's choice. Grace, not human works. God's choice, not human will. God's grace to work within. God's grace to apply the cleansing flood of Jesus' blood to stony human hearts. Through Jesus, by the Spirit, God the Father's grace outpoured. Through Jesus, by the Spirit, God the Father's grace outpoured. Within our hearts, sealing our fate, with Jesus we will walk within heaven's eternal gate. That's the end of my lesson, but I have a few thoughts for us. Does God always show faithfulness to Israel? What do you guys think? I pray that you see the argument for yes. Should Gentiles despise Jews who disbelieve? No. Because we should believe what this passage teaches. And if that's true, then we shouldn't hate anyone who doesn't believe in God. Because we know that we're saved by grace and that they need to be saved by grace. And we won't think ourselves better than somebody else in our own sin. We're looking at their sin. <coughs> and if that's not evidence enough, do you not remember what Jesus said on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This was Jesus' attitude, your Lord's attitude, toward disbelieving Israelites who put him to death. So if they put you to death, or if they're putting other Israelites that are still trying to witness to them this truth, to death, you still should not hate them. Because Jesus understood this to be true. He could still have an attitude of forgiveness because there is no understanding on those who are acting so sinful. But they're still accountable. God decides whom he will regenerate and when we are to graciously speak the gospel, wait upon his Holy Spirit to move in the lives of unbelieving people as we teach, even if it means under persecution and possible martyrdom. Jesus died. Okay? Jesus died. Jesus did this. Should we think that we're going to live in any lesser way than Jesus? I hope it'd be no. Look to the Lord and the way He thought and lived. Lastly, I want to encourage you all to pray for Israel, just as Paul said back in Romans 10.1, and that you develop a heart's desire that prays for them. Because there are people too who need the Lord and need grace. So I pray that you'll develop an attitude of love for the lost, whether they're Jew or Gentile. But here in this passage, Jews... Pray that God would pour out His grace upon the descendants of our spiritual father Abraham. Send and support missionaries worthy of support to the Israelites in Israel. As Jesus said to the apostles with an eschatological statement, end times kind of statement, 
you, my disciples, will not cease going through the cities of Israel before I come. There will always be a, ne a need, Jesus says, for people to preach to Israelites who are disbelieving, all the way up until the last day that I come. Lord, thank you for this time together. I pray for everyone here. Help us to love you more, to esteem and love and pursue Jesus Christ in truth, in spirit, in holiness. God, make us pure. Understand. Help us to love one another and give our lives for one another as you did. Help us to have grace toward people and forgive people of sin. And that, you know, they don't even have to ask for our forgiveness. That we would just forgive them in our mind and not hold a grudge anymore. God, help us to be more like you. Amen.